طيب بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد اللهم لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا يا كريم رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل الأخدة من لساني يفقه قولي All praises belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we seek His assistance and we seek His forgiveness. And we seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the evil of our souls and the adverse consequences of our deeds. Whomsoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees guidance upon, then none can misguide Him. And whomsoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees misguidance upon, then none can guide him. And peace and salutations be upon the final messenger, Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. I bear witness that there is no one worthy of worship besides one Allah, and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is his messenger. My dear brothers and sisters in Islam, from the outset, I greet you with the greetings of peace. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I pray that this broadcast finds you all in uh, the best of health and uh, the highest of Islamic spirits, especially uh, this Saturday morning, the 28th of March uh, 2015. Welcome to our fourth uh, session after our introduction. Um, And welcome to this particular subject dedicated towards the study of a book titled Provisions for the Hereafter by Imam Ibn Al-Qayyim. Rahimahullah. Uh, in our last session, my dear brothers and sisters, Alhamdulillah, we uh, completed the introduction, and inshallah, uh, during this particular um, episode or lesson, we will delve into um, the chapter. Uh, straight after the introduction and um, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala permits take yet uh, another chapter the chapter that we want to start off with right now is titled Allah has accorded to himself goodness in the copy of the book that I'm using uh, this is on page 16 this is on page uh, 16 so what I will do is ask uh, brother Hisham inshallah uh, to read for us um, the entire chapter, Allah has accorded to himself goodness. Please follow with him, brothers and sisters, and then inshallah, we will dive into um, explaining uh, some of the words of the author, inshallah. Jazakum lahu khairan. First of all, we ask Allah Subhanahu to forgive our sins and show mercy upon all the participants and the Sheikh. And uh, the Sheikh, the author, may Allah shower his blessings and his mercy upon him, said, Allah has accorded to himself goodness. And what is meant by this is that Allah most glorified has chosen from every race the best of it and accorded it to himself. For he most glorified, most high, does not love anything except that which is good. And he does not accept words, deeds, or charity except those which are good. And from this the signs of the slaves' happiness and wretchedness are known. For nothing suits the good person except that which is good. And he does not accept anything except it. Nor does he feel at ease except with it. Nor is his heart at rest except with it. 
He speaks good words which are the only words that ascend to Allah. And he is the most averse to obscene words, lying, backbiting, tail-bearing, slander, false testimony, and every kind of evil speech. Similarly, he does not like any deeds except the best of them. And they are those upon whose goodness sound natural instincts are, are agreed, along with the prophetic laws and which are attested to by rational minds, such as his worshipping Allah alone without partners, and preferring his pleasure to his own whims and desires and draws closer to Allah due to his striving, and he behaves towards his creation in the best way he can, treating them as he would like them to treat him. His traits of character are the best, such as gentleness, dignity, patience, compassion, loyalty, honesty, a true heart, modesty, and he protects his countenance from surrender or humility towards anyone besides Allah. Likewise, he does not choose any but the best and purest of foods, which are those that are lawful and wholesome and nourish the body. And nourish the body and the mind in the best way without causing any ill effect to the body. Nor does he select except the best of women as a wife, nor as friends and companions except those who are good. Such a person is of those whom, of whom Allah has said, الَّذِينَ تَتَوَفَّاهُمُ الْمَلَائِكَةُ طَيِّبِينَ يَقُولُونَ سَلَامٌ عَلَيْكُمُ دِخُلُوا الْجَنَّةِ سَلَامٌ يَقُولُونَ سَلَامٌ عَلَيْكُمُ دِخُلُوا الْجَنَّةِ بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَعْمَلُونَ Those whose lives the angels take while they are in a pious state, i.e. pure from all evil, and worshipping none but Allah alone, saying to them, Salaamu Alaikum, peace be on you, enter you paradise because of that the good which you used to do in the world. Salaamu Alaikum, peace be upon you, you have done well, so enter here to abide therein forever. And the use of the letter Fa in the verse, implies causality, i.e. because of your good deeds, enter it. And Allah Most High says, الْخَبِيثَاتُ لِلْخَبِيثِينَ وَالْخَبِيثُونَ لِلْخَبِيثَاتِ وَالطَّيِّبَاتُ لِلْطَّيِّبِينَ وَالطَّيِّبُونَ لِلْطَّيِّبَاتِ أُولَٰئِكَ مُبَرَّؤُونَ مِمَّا يَقُولُونَ لَهُمْ Bad statements are for bad people, or bad women for bad men, and bad people for bad statements, or bad men for bad women. Good statements are for good people, or good women for good men, and good people for good statements, or good men for good women. Such good people are innocent of every bad statement which they say. For them is forgiveness and rizqun kareem, generous provision, i.e. paradise. This verse has been explained as meaning that evil words belong to evil people, and good words belong to people. It has also been explained as meaning that good women are for good men, and vice versa. In fact, it includes this meaning and others. And Allah most glorified has placed all manner of good in paradise due to and all manner of evil in the fire. So the former is an abode which has chosen for good, while the latter is an abode which was chosen for evil. And there is an abode in which good and evil are mixed, and that is this abode, i.e. the life of this world. 
So when the appointed day comes, Allah will distinguish between the evil and the good, and then the matter will rest upon two abodes only. And what is meant is that Allah has made signs for the wretchedness and happiness by which they are known. And there might be two components in a man, i.e. good and evil. So whichever of them is preponderant, he belongs to its people. So if Allah wishes good for his slave, he will purify him before death, and he will not require cleansing by the fire. The wisdom of him most high rejects that he should make the slave to be accompanied in his abode by his evil deeds. And so he places him in the fire in order to cleanse him of his sins. And the time for which he will remain in the fire is dependent upon the rapidity or slowness with which the sins are removed. But since polytheist is evil by nature, the fire does not cleanse him. Just as if a dog enters the sea, it is not cleansed. While because the believer is free from sins, the fire is forbidden to him, since there is nothing in him which necessitates cleansing. So glorified be he whose wisdom overwhelms the minds. Barakallahu fikum, Akhil Kareem Hisham. You can mute your mic, uh, your microphone. Barakallahu fikum for that reading. So, brothers and sisters, mashaAllah, tabarakallah. May Allah subhanahu wa taala bless the reader. Allahumma barik fiih. And uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shower his mercy upon the author and uh, shower his mercy upon uh, the summarizer um, of the work of the author. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. We've seen um, in uh, the reading that we've just heard and in the chapter in front of us, um, amazing words, words uh, that really conform to common sense. And alhamdulillah, words uh, backed up uh, by revelation uh, as well. Walillahi alhamd. Um, my dear brothers and sisters, um, our legs will not move on the day of judgment until we are asked about two matters. And those two matters are what did we worship? What did we worship? And what was our response to the messenger? What did we worship? And what was our response to the messenger? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask us about uh, these matters. right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask us about other matters. But those other matters really, um, they fall uh, under the umbrella of these two matters that I have cited. What did we worship? And what was our response to the messenger? And even if we contemplate the questions of the grave, Right? The three questions of the grave. Those questions that everyone will be asked. And that exam which each and every one of us will take. Right? An exam that we will take and an exam that is strange for many matters. The most strange of these matters is that we know the questions. We know the questions that we will be asked. It's not like one of those exams that we write at the end of a semester... Uh, at the end of our time in a particular um, educational period or at a particular educational period, right? So, so that we pass and enter the next period, right? We don't know the, ex- the, the questions of, of these exams. Imagine, uh, we, you know, I'm sure there's many students here. There's many people who, are, even as adults, are taking courses. They're still writing exams. At the end of the day, we always have anxiety as human beings, right? Especially when we set high standards for ourselves, um, when we, you know, have high aspirations, that anxiety is there as human beings. You know, um, not only do we want to pass, we want to pass well. 
You know, and for many of us, it's not a question of will we pass. The question is, um, you know, by how much will we pass? And that's where the anxiety is. Some people don't fear themselves failing, alhamdulillah. And it's all from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, and we've discussed this previously, that there's no success from ourselves. It's all from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts us upon a platform where we don't fear failing, alhamdulillah. The means um, are clear and the means have been taken well. Uh, for us, the issue is passing and passing well. You know, will I understand that question properly? You know, will... Uh, you know, the natural elements of being a human being take over where I might feel ill, uh, I might misread the question, I might miss a word, I, I might read the question well but misunderstand the question. These things can happen in an exam to all of us, right? So, you enter the exam with anxiety. And subhanAllah, I've seen this in people irrespective of their age. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I speak for myself uh, first and foremost. You know, alhamdulillah, I've been blessed to be uh, a student for a long time. And, uh, and I'm not just talking about a general student like we all should be until the grave, but I'm talking about a student in the system. So, irrespective of age, when you sit on the student's chair, you become a student, right? And those questions are always there. You know, before the exam, you're asking the teacher, how will the questions be? Where will, be, where will uh, you question us from? What are the most likely areas? Um, you know, um, how should we attempt the answers? And so on and so forth. You know, we, we'll, we'll pose these questions to our teachers. And sometimes, you know, our teachers will laugh and say, subhanAllah, you know, just uh, study and put your trust in Allah. And don't busy yourself with these questions. Um, the, the best thing you can ask yourself is, what did you do to prepare? for the exam. But coming to the point, the point is that we have this anxiety. And if we ever had the opportunity to know the questions before the exam, and it was permissible for us to know, we'd obviously take that opportunity. And some people, subhanAllah, even though they know it's impermissible, but you know, um, the, the weakness of the iman takes over. And if they had the opportunity to know what the questions uh, are for a particular exam, they'll take it. Because anxiety is just difficult upon us. Right? And even death, we fear it so much because of its anxiety. And, you know, the anxiety, it's, it's a test, right? You, uh, you know, at, at death we'll know whether we've passed the test or not. The, you know, our exam papers will be marked on the Day of Judgment. So it's that anxiety, it's like a person waiting to collect their uh, secondary school results. Waiting to know whether they've passed and will have the opportunity to go to university. And I'm sure we've seen this uh, on television, like in the UK, for example, when uh, students are lined up outside a particular office, and uh, one by one they go in and an envelope is given to them. And some people come out with their envelopes intact. They don't want to open it in front of people, but you can see they're shivering with anxiety. Some people open it in the exam room and come out teary because it just, it just didn't go well. They, they couldn't wait. They wanted it over and done with. Just open the envelope now. Anxiety was too much. Some people come out jumping and skipping and hopping, you know, that they've done well, alhamdulillah. And then you look at the people waiting to go in after those people and you see their faces, right? Because they know that these people have passed their test and now it's our turn. And you know, when I see that, I think about us on the day of Qiyamah. You know, Allah knows how it will be. But if it's a situation whereby we see people being questioned by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then we, you know, we, we see their end and, and we next in line or our turn is coming up, subhanAllah, imagine, Allahu musta'an, imagine how it will be uh, for a human being, wallahi. Um, and look, I'm just chatting to you a heart-to-heart chat. This is, there's nothing, you know, there's, there's no words here that need you to have a dictionary. There's no academia here that needs you to have a prelude. This is just a heart-to-heart, simple words. But you know what, brothers and sisters? 
it means a lot to me and I, I, I feel what I'm saying and I'm sure it means a lot to you and, I, and, you've, and, and you feel the reality of what I'm saying because at the end of the day, what I'm talking to you about is the most starkest of realities, right? So, we started off talking about how Allah will ask us two questions and we spoke about the questions of the grave. The questions of the grave are known to us. But how is it that in the exam of the dunya, if we knew the questions, the anxiety will go away. But with the questions of the grave, we know the questions and we've become even more anxious. How is that possible? Have you ever asked yourself this question? Or is this something we just block out? It's just, you know, is death something we block out from our lives, our daily lives, might I add? Is, uh, uh, you know, the questions of the grave something we block out from our daily lives? Is our standing in front of Allah something we block out from our daily lives? Allahul Musta'an. Allahul Musta'an. You know, it's... If we actually thought about these realities, we'd become the most anxious of people. And that is why Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, أَكْثِرُوا ذِكْرَ هَادِمِ That increase the remembrance of that which destroys all desires. You know those desires that you desire and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't want you to do? You know those desires that you want to do but you know it displeases Allah? Right? The best way for you to rid yourself of falling into that sin or falling into you know, uh, that particular desire is to remember death. The Prophet ﷺ says, remember that. Remember frequently the destroyer of pleasures. Right? So remember it. And that will you know, recalibrate your, 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 your wishes and your desires and it will, it, will, it will make you straighter. Because at the end of the day, when you remember death, the anxiety that comes with its remembrance will take over the whims and fancies that you are being inclined to. This is the reality. So we know the questions of the grave, but we're even more anxious. You know why, my dear brothers and sisters? Because you can't study for, these, for, for those questions. You can't study. It's not a matter about you know, just opening a book uh, that, uh, that talks about the questions of the grave. The most simplest of them, for example, that many study in the Middle East, Usul al-Thalaf, right? The three principles, right? Um, and I'll open the book and I'll study it and I'll know the answers for it theoretically and then I will just answer the angels when I'm asked in the grave. The reality is no matter how hard you study, you are not guaranteed the opportunity to answer those questions. You are not, my dear brothers and sisters. To study for the questions of the grave, you have to live a life true to those questions. That is how you study for the questions of the grave. It's not about committing things to memory. And that is why I've said to you before, beneficial knowledge is knowledge put into action. Beneficial knowledge is knowledge put into action. You have to act that knowledge. Acting that knowledge is you studying. That is how you study. And that is how you prepare yourselves to answer those questions. So, we will have these questions in the grave. And like we know of these questions in the grave, we know that Allah will question us about two things on the day of Qiyamah. Right? Allah will question us about that which we worshipped. And Allah will question us about our response to the Messenger. And note that I'm not saying Allah will ask us who is Muhammad. I'm, I'm giving you, a, um, a, you know, um, a, what we would call not a word-for-word translation here. Allah's 
really going to ask us what was our response to the messenger when he asks us about who our prophet was. And this is what we have to understand. The reality of the question is, uh, or, or the question that states who is your prophet or who was your prophet, the reality of that question is what was your response to the messenger. That is the reality of what is being asked, uh, my dear brothers and sisters. And this is something that we must understand here and now. That we will be, Allah will be asking us about our response. Right? Don't let shaitan zoom you out of the reality of the question where you end up focusing on the semantics. You end up focusing on the words, Man nabiyyuk, who was your prophet? Yani Muhammad was my prophet. If you say Muhammad was your prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, but you lived a life contradicting the message of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, then in reality was Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam truly your prophet or was it namesake? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. Ameen. Ya Rabbil Alameen. Now, to answer these two questions, we have to be true to the article of faith. Because the answer to the question, what did you worship, is La ilaha illallah. And the answer to the question, what was our response to the messenger, then that is Muhammadur Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And uh, we understand this by the simple fact that to become a Muslim, you have to announce the shahada. It's either you're born as a Muslim, or if you become a Muslim, you have to announce the shahada. Now, this shahada, no doubt, is simple in terms of, you know, its ability to be recited. It's simple in terms of the sentence structure. It's simple in terms of the words used. You know, even the letters in the sentence is, is easy upon the tongue. And, and uh, you know, I'm sure you've witnessed this many times when a new Muslim announces the shahada. Right? They announce the shahada fluidly. Effortlessly, even though they don't even know how to read the Quran, uh, even though they they haven't uh, you know um, uh, you know studied the Arabic language or pronunciation uh, of the letters of the Arabic language, but when you say tell them Ashhadu, they're able to follow you, right? Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah wa Ashhadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluhu. They're able to follow you, meaning the letters are so simple in the shahada. You know, it's, it's not a case whereby there's a mixture of uh, Arabic letters that are tongue twisters anyway when you pronounce, or that require, you know, uh, or that consist of letters that require extra effort when you announce those letters b- uh, by themselves. And now you've joined them together, so it, it creates a tongue twister for you. There are some words like that. But when we look at the shahada, it's simple in every way on, and, and form. And... Even though it's simple, my dear brothers and sisters, the, the, what it entails and the mandates of the shahada are mighty. The mandates of the shahada are mighty. Because the mandates of the shahada is removal from darkness and placement into light. The darkness of misguidance and the placement into the light of guidance. The mandates of the shahada entail re, uh, safety from the hellfire and entrance into everlasting bliss, which is Jannah. And your diligence with the shahada will entail your prize or the, 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 the magnitude of your prize uh, in the hereafter. Because we know paradise is of levels. And Allah has made paradise of levels because Allah is all just. Right? Allah is all just. Allah will not reward the one who does less like the one who does more. So Allah is all just and out of that complete justice has made paradise into levels. As He has made Jahannam into levels as well to recompense those who disobey and disbelieve the way they deserve to be uh, recompensed uh, or, or, or punished as a result of the disobedience, right? So, this shahada is simple, but the mandates are great. And when we look at the first question, 
that what did you worship? Then indeed that is, you know, the, the answer to it, uh, or, or, or Savior, or the ability to pass uh, that particular question is in La ilaha illallah, that there is no one worthy of worship besides Allah. That Ya Allah, I only worshipped you. I only worshipped you. I only worshipped you. I never placed anything in front of you. I didn't place my desires in front of you. I didn't place my love for wealth in front of you. And this is the reality of this life, my dear brothers and sisters. It's a test. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will test us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, uh, you know, uh, place things that we love around us. Money, children, families, uh, financial standing, material well-being. These things will be available, right? Because Allah will test us, you know. Um, and this is something that we, uh, we need to understand. And when we understand it properly, then we are able to dispel, uh, you know, the misguided ways of the Orientalist, the misguided ways of those who prefer their intellectuality in front of text, in front of revelation. Because in the field of theodicy, Right or this, uh, you know, Western philosophical um, uh, subject and discussion, and discussion related to how a perfect and just God can create an imperfect wo- uh, world. Right, this is a discussion found um, uh, in, in in Western philosophy. Right, this whole this whole discussion of how if God is perfect and if God is just, then how can a perfect and just God, um, you know, uh, present a world that is um, that is not perfect, right? And then the, the, uh, they would further dis- uh, the discussion and say, if God is just and God is perfect, then why did the best revelation come to a portion of humanity? What about those who lived um, tens of thousands of years uh, before, or thousands of years uh, before um, the coming of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and so on and so forth, right? So um, w- w- people who have these type of questions and uh, choose. Uh, to ask these type of questions, then these are people who haven't understood the mandates of La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah. They haven't understood the mandates of La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah. Apologies for the repetition, my dear brothers and sisters, just now. I just got a message asking me to further lower my, my volume. So I've actually lowered it to one. Right, so um, this is a, uh, when I logged into the classroom today, I saw a brand new, mashallah, classroom. It looks much better. Uh, this virtual classroom looks uh, much more attractive as well. And, and um, it clearly seems that the, the company that owns this particular platform has uh, done something with the microphone. Uh, because, uh, mashallah, even at three, which is a pretty, pretty low level, um, uh, you, uh, some are suggesting that I lower it further. So I have lowered it to one. I pray it's better. If uh, I come across um, unheard, then please uh, let me know. Uh, because obviously today it's work in progress. Uh, so coming back to our discussion, brothers and sisters, that those who ask these type of questions and engage in this, these type of philosophies, they haven't understood the reality of La ilaha illallah. That La ma'abuda bihaqqin illallah. That there is no one worthy of worship besides one Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they haven't understood what La ilaha illallah entails. And that is Muhammadur Rasulullah. Which is the answer to the second question, that what was your response to the messenger? The response has to be Muhammadur Rasulullah. Where you and I affirm that we have no way to one Allah that we worship, except upon the way of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam.
right? Accept upon his way. And listen to how I've structured this, this, this sentence. I haven't said the way to Allah is the way of Muhammad. I am saying there's no way to Allah except upon the way of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I'm not saying, uh, you know, uh, Allah is the only one worthy of worship. I'm saying there is no one worthy of worship uh, besides one Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, and, and for those who uh, specialize in linguistics, you'll appreciate, uh, you know, uh, the... Um, uh, you know, the implications of these two uh, sentences, right? So understand that we only worship one Allah, only one Allah, and we place nothing in front of this Allah. And our only way to this one Allah is via Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask us these two questions on the day uh, of Qiyamah. And this shahada uh, makes up Islam. And Islam uh, refers to istislam. Istislam. Istislam is another Arabic word and uh, it explains uh, the meaning of Islam. A lot of the time we, we, we uh, hear people translate Islam as something that refers to peace. Islam means peace. Yes, Islam uh, does refer to a concept of peace. Uh, but the greater picture of, 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 of this term is that it represents the religion of Islam. And the religion of Islam is about Istislam. And Islam refers to submitting to the will of Allah Almighty in everything that we do during every second of our lives. Right? Pay attention. It refers to submitting to the will of Allah Almighty in everything that we do during every second of our lives. And when we make a mistake, it entails us turning back to Allah Almighty with regret and redeeming ourselves through the process of seeking forgiveness. This is what Islam means. And that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in his book in Surah Al-Ahzab in ayah number 36, وَمَا كَانَ لِمُؤْمِنٍ وَلَا مُؤْمِنَةٍ إِذَا قَضَى اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ أَمْرًا أَنْ يَكُونَ لَهُمُ الْخِيَرَةُ مِنْ أَمْرِهِمْ That it wasn't for a believing male and a believing female, right? That when Allah and His Messenger uh, decreed a decree and revealed an obligation and presented an obligation that the believers felt that they had a choice in the matter, right? That we had a choice in the matter. That okay, here comes an obligation, but you know what? Let me see how I feel. It just depends how I feel. If I feel like I want to adopt it, if it, if it fits my lifestyle, if it fits my whims and fancies, then I'll follow it. And if it doesn't, then you know what? I'll leave it. No. Islam is about you know, not feeling that you have a choice in the matter. When the instruction comes to you, and when you understand this, the earlier point that I spoke about theodicy and so on and so forth, these things, uh, theodicy in Western philosophy, by the way, I'm not talking about the term generally, but these things um, really uh, do not deserve a place in our minds, in our souls and in our hearts, right? Because we understand that at the end of the day, the precedence is revelation. And our intellectuality and rationale is used behind the screen of revelation. That's how we use it. It's not a fluid, um, uh, you know, unconscious, um, unrestricted uh, usage. It's not about having this unrestricted usage. It's about using your intellectu intellectuality and rational behind the screen of the Sharia, because the, uh, and, and behind the screen of revelation, allowing the revelation to be that sift, that you know, that you you send uh, things through, and it, it catches the impurities and let the, lets the pure things run through. Right? It lets the pure things run through. 
So, um, our revelation has to be that sift, that purifier for us. That everything in our mind, we run it through revelation. And whatever revelation ca- catches as impure, we leave it. Yes, it doesn't make sense to us, doesn't matter. Because we are submitters to the will of God Almighty during every second in our lives. And we know the will of God Almighty during every second of our lives via the Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So please take note uh, about uh, these uh, few words, my dear brothers and sisters, and the lessons that are, are trying to be, uh, to be shared. Now, when you contemplate over uh, the first chapter that the author has cited after his introduction, and let me just remind everyone here that in the first uh, particular, uh, or in the introduction, the author built that introduction upon uh, an ayah in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, where Allah says that Allah creates what He wants and gives a precedence to that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wishes and wills. Right, And after that, the author comes into the first chapter and he cites an entire chapter about purity versus evil. Right? For those who are listening carefully to the reading of uh, our young uh, brother Hisham, Hafizahullah, uh, you will note that uh, the entire discussion was around purity versus evil. And even the ayat and uh, evidences that the author cited were directly linked to the whole process and concept of purity uh, versus evil. And the author here is not just freestyling, by the way. And as, as I told you, that even though he wrote this book during travel, um, there was a clear line of sight between the beginning of the book and the end of the book. This is very clear, manifestly clear, uh, my dear brothers and sisters. And inshallah, it will become clearer as we uh, explain this particular chapter. Because don't forget, don't forget, this entire book is about the study of who. Who can remember this? One of the uh, students wrote to me the other day saying that, you know what, Sheikh, I think we should, uh, or you should explore uh, giving us a set of exams, a simple set of exams, online exams. And this is a very good suggestion. Uh, at least it, it, it helps us uh, understand uh, the comprehension levels of everyone in the class uh, as well and makes it more interesting for everybody. Maybe we can make it a competition where you compete with each other and inshallah it will be halal competition because it is competing uh, in that which brings us closer to Allah. Alhamdulillah, this is an act of worship. So Abdul Mateen says, uh, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Yes, this entire book is about the life of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So because it's about the life of the messenger, the author wants to sort of uh, lift us to a level whereby immediately we accept everything the author is going to say thereafter regarding the, the best person to have walked the face of this earth, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa So he takes us up slowly by saying, look, Allah creates many things, but Allah gives a precedence to uh, certain parts of his creation over others. And the best uh, precedence was given to, the, to, to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa So already he's pushed us up. Now he's talking about purity versus evil. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in reality, this is what the author is saying in this chapter. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not accept anything that is evil. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only accepts purity. And there's, there's wisdom here. And there's purpose here behind the author citing this ayah. Teaching us that if Allah gave a precedence and choosing to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, then know that Allah doesn't choose anything but purity. So Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is the purest of the pure. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Which means that which he came with was the purest of the pure. And that which he taught us was the purest of the pure. So in case you have doubt, or you're still in doubt, then understand that success and all of success 
And understand that the name of this book is Provisions for the Hereafter. Zad al-Ma'ad. We are on a journey to the hereafter. Right? We need to pack our bags. Right? So understand that the hereafter has the purest of places known as Jannah. And if you want to be a pure person, which will qualify to get into this purest place, then you better make sure your bags are packed with the purest of things. And if you want to know what the purest of things are, then look for the purest man to have walked the face of this earth, for that purest man had the purest of teachings, and he was Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. I hope that makes sense, my dear brothers and sisters. I'm just trying to put perspective here into how the author is building us up here. You know, the book is not just written, um, you know, um, ad hoc. Yes, he's traveling, so he had an emotion here and an emotion there. Of course, he had emotions. And uh, for those who read the, uh, you know, the original book um, uh, of Ibn al-Qayyim, rahmatullahi alayhi, in many places he will actually uh, make an excuse for himself. He will actually cite something that subhanAllah is free from fault, but he fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so much that, you know, he feels it could have been better presented or the information could have been better presented um, or better placed. And you'll see the Imam citing that this is the work of a poor person uh, during his travel. And, you know, travel comes with his different difficulties. He actually cites this in different places uh, in his writing, which, you know, allows you to be on the journey with him. You know, you actually feel that, okay, he stopped here and here he was moving and here, you know, he had this and had that. So he definitely had different emotions during his journey. But subhanAllah, the knowledge of the imam and the wisdom of the imam, the, you know, the fact that he could cite the book in this kind of format um, teaches us that he didn't only have knowledge. Yes, he, you know, we discussed how amazing his knowledge was that he, he didn't have the thousands of books with him that he's quoting from. It was all in his head, walillahi alhamd. But he also had wisdom, because wisdom entails doing the right thing at the right time in the right way. And if you look at this book, it's full of wisdom. The way he structured uh, his chapters, the way he structured the pieces of information he chooses to place uh, during the different portions of the book. So this is uh, truly uh, testimony uh, as well to uh, the, the, the reality of the great Imam, Imam Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullahi alayhi. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gather us with him. Uh, in Jannah, Amin. And and when we discuss him in this matter, then it it, it even it takes us to a different level of awe, you know, uh, in terms of the scholars before Ibn Al Qayyim that were far more knowledgeable than him, like the four Imams of the Madahib and so on and so forth. That Subhanallah, what were they all about, right? What were they all about? What was Imam Ahmad all about, who memorized over one hundred thousand hadith? What was he all about, Imam Al Bukhari? Right? Imam Abi Hanifa and Imam Malik and Imam Shafi'i, Rahmatullahi Alayhim Jami'an, the Imams that we know and the Imams that we don't know. Uh, you know, there were Imams that were great, greater in terms of knowledge as uh, attested to by uh, several scholars from the earlier centuries of Islam, but the Madahib passed away and died out. Right? And that's a discussion for another day, you know. Um, but as we praise Allah, because indeed it is Allah who created Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, then we praise Allah even more, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the greater imams before uh, Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullahi alayhi. Uh, brothers and sisters, so uh, there's definite line of sight in this book. So the author is taking us up in stages before he dives into the actual life of the most purest person, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught us in a narration, إِنَّ اللَّهَ طَيِّبٌ لَا يَقْبَلُ إِلَّا الطَّيِّبٌ Right? Um, that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is good and pure and does not accept anything that is not good and pure. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not accept anything except that it should be good uh, and pure. And, and there's no nothing strange in this because uh, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught us in his book that pure matters are for uh, pure people, 
and evil matters are for evil people. So if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pure, how can it be that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts anything uh, lesser than that which is good? Accepts anything lesser than that which is pure? Right? So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, indeed Allah is pure and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not accept anything uh, that is pure. And uh, with regards to this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, uh, for example, in uh, the ayah that we heard uh, earlier on, regarding the angels and when the angels take the lives of certain people. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in Surah An-Nahl, um, which is Surah number 16 in Ayah number 32. الَّذِينَ تَتَوَفَّاهُمُ الْمَلَائِكَةُ طَيِّبِينَ يَقُولُونَ سَلَامٌ عَلَيْكُمْ أُدْخُلُوا الْجَنَّ بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَعْمَلُونَ Pay attention to this ayah, my dear brothers and sisters. Um, a rough translation is those whose lives the angels take whilst they are in a pious state. Right? Pious state, meaning pure from all evil and only worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So they are in a pious state and if we look at the term tayyibina, alladina tatawafahumul malaikatu tayyibina, then here um, we would understand that they are in a pure and good state as well. Because the reality of people who are in a pious state is that they are in a pure and good state as well. So, what is the result and what is the price for those in a pure and good state? In this ayah, Allah says that the angels say to them, Udkhulul Jannah, enter into Jannah. Why enter into Jannah? Why enter into Jannah? Bima kuntum ta'maloon. Because of the pure things that you used to do. Subhanallah. So this really, uh, you know, highlights for us the importance of goodness and purity in our lives. The goodness uh, and, and purity in everything that we see, in everything that we, you know, say, in everything that we do. Uh, even in the people that we marry, even in the children that we try to raise, even in the communities that we live uh, amidst and within. Right? And so on and so forth. Our aim should be to, bring, to be pure people and people of goodness and bring about goodness and purity to uh, those within our sphere of influence. And everybody has different spheres of uh, influence. Everybody has different spheres of influence, right? Uh, some people have different positions in society that, that bring a, a, a much larger, vast uh, number of the community, irrespective of their ethnic backgrounds or languages or sects and divisions and so on and so forth, within their remit, right? Within their sphere of, of excellence. So, uh, irrespective of your sphere of excellence, being a Muslim entails you striving to be pious, obviously, which means being good and pure, and then you aiming to effect purity and goodness within your sphere of influence. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says uh, as well, Salamun alaykum tibtum fadkhuluha khalidin. And I want you to just take note of the term Taba, uh, right? Uh, which refers to purity. So in the first ayah, Tayyibina, this is from Tab and Tibtum. This also is from the term Tab. This is the same word. It's just uh, different formations uh, of the same word. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, says in Surah Az Zumar, which is the 39th Surah. Um, ayah number 73, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, Peace be upon you, you have done well. Tibtum, uh, meaning you have done that which is good, and you have done that which is pure, so enter here to abide therein forever. Meaning enter into Jannah, into the good and pure place to abide therein, in the most purest of ways, and good and, and the best of ways which is uh, to reside in uh, forever. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in uh, Surah Nur uh, or Surah number 24, in ayah number 26, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Al-Khabithatu lil-Khabithin, wal-Khabithuna lil-Khabithat, wal-Tayyibatu lil-Tayyibin, wal-Tayyibuna lil-Tayyibat. 
right? So Imam uh, Ibn al-Qayyib rahmatullahi alayhi is bringing up these ayat to establish and cement the, the, the message of this particular chapter, which is the importance of uh, falling in love with goodness and falling in love with purity and understanding that Allah chose and as Allah chooses, Allah is pure and doesn't choose anything except that it must be upon, um, you know, um, excellent purity. Right? So, and, and now he's further driving home that with evidences from revelation. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this ayah says that bad statements are for bad people. Right? And this is one of the tafsirs of the ayah. Another tafsir of the ayah is also bad people are for bad people. And this is fine. All the meanings are inclusive uh, in the linguistic structure of this particular ayah. Right? So, bad words are for bad people, and bad, uh, bad words um, uh, or bad statements are for bad people as well as bad people are for bad people. People of bad character are for people of bad character. A person cannot say that he has or she has good character when uh, they have inclination towards that which is considered bad manners. Right? There's definitely an issue. Right? So Allah says that good words and good statements are for good people. And uh, good people are for good people. The pure are for the pure. The pure are for the pure. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, tells us in His book that for the, 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 uh, the, the, the adulterer, then no one should uh, engage in a marriage contract with this person except an adulteress and vice versa. Right? Um, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect because adultery is impure. Right? And adultery is from the major sins. And adultery comes with a mighty punishment. And if you ponder over the sharia, my dear brothers and sisters, you will see that Allah has set rewards for everything that is good and pure. And everything that has a punishment attached to it, it can never be good and pure, no matter how much your mind wants it to be good and pure. No matter how much your desires want it to be good and pure. No matter how you try and justify it. You know, you try and think of it from this angle and that angle, from rationale, from intellectuality, from experience, from custom. No matter what angle you try to, uh, uh, you know, attack the particular discussion from to try and prove that it's fine for us to do it, the bottom line is you have to ask yourself, is there a punishment for this or not? Is there a punishment for this or not? Or has Allah spoken about it in a praiseworthy way or a disliked way? Right? That's the bottom line. And if the question is, yes, Allah has spoken about it in a disliked way, then no matter how well you try to justify it, the net result will be that it is always impure. This is the litmus test. The litmus test is to ask yourself. When you, you know, when you, when you uh, 50-50, when you uh, n- neither here nor there, is this a good thing to do or not? Ask yourself, has Allah cited a punishment for it? Or has Allah cited a dislike for it? That's the litmus test. If yes, then no matter how much you try and justify it, the net result is it's evil. The net result is it's impure. And yes, evil is of different levels. And impurities are of different levels. And goodness is of different levels. And uh, purity is of different levels. And as I said earlier, that is why Jannah is of different levels. And Jahannam is of different levels because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is just. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't make the one who does uh, something impure of a lower level, the same as a person who does something uh, impure of a higher level, right? That's what uh, civil law does, constitutional law does. Constitutional law, um, or, or um, you know, the law that you and I are accustomed to, gov- uh, uh, that, that governments bring about, and obviously they are different types. We have uh, coded law, or, or, um, or common law, and so on and so forth. But these type of laws, they don't differentiate between these levels. 
in, 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 in many circumstances. I'm not saying in every circumstance, but in many circumstances they don't. And proof of it is for the brothers and sisters who perhaps one day, one day, one day, one day, you know, somehow, you know, you are driving down a hill and you are thinking about something important. And somehow your car went three or four or five kilometers over the speed limit when normally you drive five kilometers below the speed limit. Right? I'm going to end off here for the break, but I just want you to go off with something uh, to smile about or cry about. Allahumma Right? What happens? The camera flashes you and you have to pay the fine. <laughs> right? So the camera treats you the same as the people who speed every day anyway. The camera won't say this person always drives below the speed limit. The law won't say this person drives always below the speed limit. He's a human being. We take human nature into consideration. Right? We take human nature into consideration. That doesn't uh, really happen. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is just. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pure. And uh, with these few words, my dear brothers and sisters, we come to the end of our first session. Insha'Allah, we will uh, take uh, a break. We will take a break. Bi'ithnillahi uh, ta'ala. Let us uh, meet at 9.55 a.m. Makkah time, insha'Allah. Hada wallahu a'lam wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, my dear brothers and sisters. Uh, welcome back after our short uh, break. I'm sure you heard uh, in the first reading, uh, when uh, Hisham was reading, there were these uh, aircrafts flying over his house. I've actually visited uh, Hisham in Dubai, mashallah, he stays um, at a place where uh, the planes fly quite low as they're either taking off from the airport or landing from the airport and I believe every 90 seconds uh, there's a plane that lands so you can actually hear it um, in, in, in the classroom as uh, Emirates Airlines, mashallah, uh, touches down in Dubai. Uh, all praise belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for lifting so much steel uh, into the skies. Indeed, only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, can do that. Uh, brothers and sisters, uh, very quickly, let's uh, listen to Brother Hisham uh, read for us uh, the following chapter regarding the obligation to know the guidance of the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and thereafter, insha'Allah, uh, we will begin. Uh, Brother Hisham, please go ahead. Barakallahu feekum. The author, may Allah shower his mercy upon him, said, Regarding the obligation to know the guidance of the Messenger, from here it is understood the overriding necessity for the slaves to know the Messenger and the message which he brought. Because there is no path to success except at his hands, nor to know good from evil except through him. So no matter how urgent the need or how great the necessity, the need of the slave for the Messenger is far above it. And what is your opinion regarding one whose guidance is concealed from you and whose message corrupts your heart in a moment? But only a living heart feels this, for a wound is not felt by a dead man. And if happiness is dependent upon upon his sallallahu alayhi wasallam's guidance, then it is incumbent upon every person who loves salvation for himself to know his guidance and his life story, seerah, and all his and all his affairs in order to avoid the path of the ignorant. 
And the people in this matter vary between those with a little knowledge, this with much knowledge, and those who know nothing whatsoever. And bounty is in Allah's hand. He gives it to whom He wills, and Allah is the owner of great bounty. Should I continue reading to the next chapter? La Karima. We're just uh, waiting for the aircraft to, to pass over, alhamdulillah. Okay. Please, please mute okay. your microphone for us. Jazakumullah khair. Um, so, brothers and sisters, this is just a short and succinct um, you know, summary um, by uh, the summarizer, uh, Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab. Uh, uh, and Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, in his original uh, book um, definitely had much more to say. In fact, what Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, does uh, before moving on to the next portion of the book after this particular portion is actually uh, take us on a journey, uh, a brief journey um, through the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So, you know, after we know that Allah has chosen Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and given him a rank that no other enjoyed and that uh, Allah gave it to him because Allah is pure and does not choose anything that is pure. So he is pure and his message is pure. And to get the pure end, you have to be upon the purity that he came with sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Then uh, this teaches us the obligation of knowing the message of sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because there's no way to gain the purity if you don't learn about the pure man who bought uh, or brought uh, rather this particular uh, purity. And that is what uh, the author says uh, from uh, the outset. You know, even in the summary, he says, from here it is understood the overriding necessity for the slaves to know the messenger. Uh, from where? From the chapter before this and from the introduction. This is what the author is saying, uh, Rahmatullahi Alayhi. And uh, during the notes, you actually saw, um, you know, very, uh, uh, you know, v- there was a very eloquent piece where he says, "But only a living heart feels this, for a wound is not felt by a dead man." Right? Uh, only a living heart um, feels the need for guidance and feels the hurt of corruption. Only a living heart, and we're talking about spiritually living. Not physically living, but spiritually living. Um, a lot of the time our focus is on the physical elements of life. And we have very little uh, remembrance for the spiritual matters, the metaphysical uh, aspects of our life that have uh, you know, f- physical or tangible uh, results, really. Even though it's metaphysical, but the results are tangible. I mean, uh, even though you know, guidance is not something you can hold, but the result of it is very much tangible. We feel the effects of guidance, and if not, we will come to feel it when we are entered into uh, paradise. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enter us there and, and protect us from uh, the hellfire. Amin. Ya Rabbil Alameen. So, um, you know, uh, he, he eloquently says here that um, only a living heart feels this and a, and a wound is not felt by a dead man. This particular portion here, that a wound is not felt by a dead man, this is actually part of Arabic poetry. Uh, and um, in some of the publications we actually have a footnote that tells us where this piece of Arabic poetry came from. It's by a famous poet known as Al-Mutanabbi. And uh, the actual line of poetry is, whoever dwells in disgrace, get used to it, for a wound is not felt by a dead man. Right? A very eloquent line of poetry. Once again, whoever dwells in disgrace, get used to it, for a wound is not felt by 
uh, a dead man. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from being spirit, uh, spiritually uh, dead. Amin. So brothers and sisters, um, you know, knowing about Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is, you know, is, is from the obligatory matters. Why? Because we have no way to Allah uh, except upon the way of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And that's why, you know, if you quickly flick through the next chapters, you will see that, you know, uh, the author will be now discussing uh, the guidance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with many of our matters that, uh, you know, are important to us in terms of our journey to the hereafter, such as, you know, regarding the guidance of the messenger with regards to his wudu, regarding the guidance of the messenger with regards to his prayer, regarding the guidance of the messenger uh, with regards to um, other things like zakah and so on, his charity and all other matters. Uh, subhanallah, you'll see it all in this book and he will title it uh, or it will be titled under this all important heading, you know, the guidance of the messenger with regards to this, the guidance of the messenger with regards to this, teaching us that, look, you know, uh, this is uh, this is the only guidance that should matter. And this is the guidance that you need to learn. So let us ask ourselves, how did he pray? Let us ask ourselves, how did he speak? How did he, uh, let, uh, let us ask ourselves, how did he eat? Let us ask ourselves, how did he, you know, marry? How was he with his spouses? How was he as a father, as a parent? How was he as a community, community member? Let us take the guidance from the best person. And as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in his book, لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنًا That indeed, in the messenger of Allah is a perfect example in every matter of your life. Right? Uswa, uswa is an indefinite word. And this indefinite word exists in a sentence that is considered positive. Right? So, uh, and there's a principle in jurisprudence methodology that an indefinite uh, word in a positive sentence entails the meaning of the sentence being general. Right? Um, this is a principle in usul al-fiqh. Right, uh, especially in the discussion ar- around dilalat or the implications of of wordings and sentences. This is a chapter in the science uh, known as usul al-fiqh or jurisprudence methodology. So uswa is an indefinite word in a positive sentence because the sentence is positive. Allah says laqad kana lakum that indeed in the messenger. Right, from a language pers- perspective, we consider this a positive sentence. So uh, an indefinite word in a positive sentence entails uh, the meaning being general, which means that Rasulullah. is a perfect example for us in every aspect of our life. Not just in in, in matters of worship, or in those matters that you and I consider uh, from the outset, you know, direct worship of Allah, or those matters that can only be for Allah uh, subhanahu wa ta'ala, that can only be for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is not what we are. Uh, this is not what the ayah is saying. The ayah is saying that the uh, that you know uh, the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam is a perfect example in matters related to worship, and even those matters that are not worship from the outset. You know those matters which require a particular intention to become worship. You know those matters that are specific to matters of the dunya, right? If you open the books of fiqh. You see the scholars of fiqh, they divide, uh, they, they, they divide the subject matters into two, into two categories. They have qism uh, al-ibadat and qism al-mu'amalat. Right? So they have uh, the chapters of worship and the chapters of transactions. Mu'amalat. Um, and in the chapter of transactions or mu'amalat, you'll have kitab al-bay' or the book of trade. And then the book related to marriage and divorce and custody and the book related to judiciary and the book related to civil matters and so on and so forth. So mu'amalat uh, is a section that the scholars placed that would entail all those matters that are uh, you know, uh, attached to you being a human being in this world. 
living in as, as an inter, or, uh, living in interdependent communities, right? So those are matters of the dunya, right? And yes, the Sharia has come to recalibrate those matters as well and come to add guidance to those matters. But then we have Qismul Ibadat, which is the section pertaining to worship. Those matters that uh, you cannot know except through revelation. And even if your mind could know parts of it, it would be, you know, just general matters pertaining to those parts, not specifics. Revelation had to come. Revelation had to come. And that's why Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he would go to the cave, uh, you know, disagreeing with the way of the Quraysh because his natural dis- uh, disposition or his fitrah uh, never allowed him to accept their ways. Never allowed him to accept their ways. But, my dear brothers and sisters, he, he never knew how to worship Allah either. Right? Even though his mind uh, didn't allow him to accept, because yes, our minds do have rationale. Right? Allah uh, gave us the ability to think. And we do have a natural disposition. So even though the mind could understand that this is wrong, but the mind did not have the ability, you know, in, uh, uh, with regards to the specifics in terms of the worship of Allah. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would go to the cave. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Duha says, وَوَجَدَكَ ضَالًا فَهَدَى Right, dal in the Arabic language refers to, um, linguistically we'd say something which is dal is something which is lost. Something which has gone astray. Like a lost camel, it's gone astray, it's left the pack, for example. Right? But in this particular ayah, the translation of dal is not gone astray or lost. Because Rasulullah was never lost. Allah was guiding him from before he was born. The situation in terms of giving him, uh, the, the situations around him were conducive to him becoming a Prophet. Right, uh, from his father passing away, and then the way his mother passed away, and the, the the age that she passed away at, and you know everything. And inshallah, we'll discuss this because we are going to stop at this chapter for uh, a couple of lessons or more because we want to just take uh, an overview of the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam before we actually dive into his guidance pertaining to purity, which is the uh, the chapter that that, that follows. So Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was not misguided per se. Because Allah uh, placed, uh, you know, with him elements of guidance from the, uh, you know, from his heart being cut and his chest being washed, or his chest being cut and his heart and chest being washed, and uh, you know, even the upbringing uh, from from his from uh, going to the outskirts and then with his mother and then with uh, uh, with with his grandfather and then with Abu Talib and, and and all the elements that happened or circumstances that occurred during those periods and then how Abu Talib took him for trade and when he met. Uh, uh, the Christian monk, Bahira, and so on and so forth. Uh, all these elements were there uh, in terms of guidance. And even, even if, we, if we take you know, his life uh, up to the point of prophethood, just before that, the Quraysh were almost entering into warfare with regards to the Hajar al-Aswad, right? The black stone and, 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 and who should place the black stone in its place after they renovated the Kaaba. So even with regards to that, the, the elements of, of him being an arbitrator and reconciliator and, and being a person of guidance and goodness and purity was, uh, was around him even in terms of events and how Allah used him. So he was never misguided. And that is why to translate the ayah as we found you misguided and then we guided you is not an uh, uh, appropriate uh, translation, brothers and sisters. Would refer to we, we found you not upon complete guidance. And we revealed to you and guided you. Meaning you didn't know how to worship Allah and we taught you how to worship Allah. And this is a great blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
right? Uh, we found you pondering and, and, and thinking and deliberating, how can you worship Allah? And then we taught you how to worship Allah, teaching us brothers and sisters that our minds do not have the abilities, right? Uh, to understand everything, to know everything. And coming back to how the fuqaha have divided their books, they divided it based on this. They said that, look, we have a, a, a section which has uh, elements of the sharia that no one can understand. Only revelation can bring uh, us this particular information uh, in its macro and micro level, which is uh, salah and uh, tahara, salah, zakah, fasting and hajj. And then we have matters which intellectually we can, um, you know, uh, forge a way forward and understand how to use and understand what is beneficial, right? Like trade, like getting married and so on and so forth. And the Sharia came and never came with, uh, you know, too many details pertaining to it. Rather came with details that allowed us to recalibrate it and, 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 and use uh, the, those elements that our minds are able to fathom uh, in a way that's conducive for both, for, uh, for, for all of mankind, both uh, the individuals from mankind as well as the communities from mankind, right? So, um, that is why we, uh, the, you know, it's important that we know the messenger. Because it's impossible for us to know all of goodness based on our mindsets. And this is another response to those people who put their aql, who put their intellectuality and their minds, right, in front of naql. They put it in front of revelation. They put it in front of revelation. Or they have this concept that the aql is enough for them to ascertain success from the life that they live in this world. It's impossible. So my dear brothers and sisters, if you want purity, you have to know the Messenger wasallam, because we have no door to revelation except via Muhammad wasallam. And that's why one of the foster mothers of Rasulullah wasallam, and we'll come to hear about her, she was an honorable person, and uh, in the books of Hadith, uh, she's actually cited under uh, you know the, the, the chapter of the honorable ones. She goes, she cried when Rasulullah wasallam passed away. Right? And inshallah we'll discuss her name and discuss the story again when we come to it. She cried when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam passed away. No, it wasn't Halima. Uh, and um, they, they, they said to her that, you know, Oh, honorable uh, person, you know, uh, the, Prophet, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is gone to a blessed place. And she says, I know he's gone to a blessed place. But uh, this is not the reason why I'm crying. I'm crying now because the door that we had to revelation has become shut. Subhanallah. Look at the people who walked the face of this earth uh, before us and the first generation of Islam. Allahu Akbar. And this was a female, by the way, again highlighting female scholarship in Islam and highlighting the role that the females had to play. That today, subhanallah, we, can, we, we, we are in awe of the statement and this understanding. This was the reality of the females at the time of the Messenger wasallam as well, substantial. They weren't, you know, looking around uh, at other civilizations around them and seeing what the females of those civilizations are doing and, 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 and then developing an inferiority complex as a result of it. No. They, 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 there was no identity crisis. They knew who they were. They knew where they were going. And they knew how they needed, to, you know, they knew how to get there successfully. Because the Messenger of, of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa brought perspective with him. And this is the reality of revelation. And this is the reality of prophets and messengers being sent. That perspective comes back to humanity after shaitan puts them upon confusion. 
May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from shaitan, protect us from evil eye, protect us from sihr and black magic, protect us from all the evils of shaitan, protect our families, protect our loved ones, protect our friends, protect the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And all those who have been afflicted by shaitan and the evils of shaitan and magic, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cure them ajil and ghayra ajil sooner rather than later. Ameen, ya Rabbil Alameen. So, um, the reality of the messengers, my dear brothers and sisters, um, the reality, my dear brothers and sisters, is that we, uh, you know, need to find out what Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam did, and what did he say, and what did he teach us? Because the reality is, my dear brothers and sisters, uh, as we first said, the mind cannot tell us all of this. Number one, number two, number two, my dear brothers and sisters, um, we live in an age where people attribute things to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, irrespective of medium. Right? How many WhatsApp messages do you get? Where people say, so and so a person has passed away, recite uh, this surah so many times and please spread it. Right? The other day I got a message that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, sorry, I got a message on, on, on WhatsApp the other day, yes, which said, uh, there's so many days left to Ramadan, there's 89 days to left to Ramadan, please send this message to others for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that uh, whoever tells people about Ramadan, the fire of Jahannam will be made haram for them. Right? Uh, these are messages that go around. So now everybody all of a sudden wants to talk about the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And they want to talk about him without him. Right? So we must learn as well. This is another reason why we need to learn. It becomes obligatory to learn about the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So we as the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam do not misrepresent Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You know, what, it, you know that's where the tragedy is. The tragedy is not in the non-Muslims misrepresenting him. The tragedy is in the Muslims misrepresenting Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because the non-Muslims, you know, no, no Muslim is going to take them seriously. Because we know that they have enmity. But the problem happens when a people who are seen to be people who love Allah and His Rasul, they go ahead and misrepresent the people, uh, or misrepresent the messenger rather, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Right? And as a result, misrepresent the deen and misrepresent the Muslims as well. This is where the tragedy is, my dear brothers and sisters. This is where the tragedy is. Right? And we need to become acute to this and in our understanding. Because uh, when people see you as someone who loves Allah and His Rasul, then you end up spreading messages of, 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 of ignorance. People are going to accept it because they don't see you as, 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 as somebody who, uh, you know, would intend any harm to the sunnah. And, and, and obviously we're not saying that those who send these misinformed messages mean harm. They only mean good. It's out of goodness and happiness and, and wishfulness that they're going ahead and, and, and spreading these messages. But this is the reality of the time. You know, before, when I was growing up as a young boy, before emails was, was the phenomenon, um, in the early 90s, for example, I, I remember, they, you know, chain letters used to go around. Chain letters, real letters, real letters. I remember I was like seven years old. Uh, and um, around 1990, I remember I, I actually was in class and this letter was going around and they said you have to write your name on this letter and you have to give it to another person. Otherwise something bad will happen to you. Subhanallah. And this was happening in class. Now today we have emails. If you delete this email, something bad will happen to you. Now we have WhatsApp messages. That is emails. Alright, you could... Yes, it was much... Uh, the reach was far greater than letters. But subhanallah, there was some control. Now you have WhatsApp where the reach is out of proportion. 
right? Uh, so we definitely live in that age where, uh, <laughs> you know, we live in the age of technology, that which was far from us is near, all sorts of information is in front of us at the click of a button, guided information as well as misguided information. The only way we are going to differentiate between the two is if we take the instruction of the author when he speaks about the obligatory nature of learning about the Messenger wasallam, so that you do not misrepresent the Messenger wasallam, so that you do not misrepresent Islam, so that you do not misrepresent the Muslims, especially when you are ambassadors to Islam uh, and the Muslims and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So we must be proper, my dear brothers and sisters, with regards to uh, what we share of this religion. And this is another reason why uh, we need to learn about the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Also another reason, my dear brothers and sisters, is that you know matters of this deen or the knowledge of this religion is of two types. The first type is that knowledge which is fardu'ayn. It's an individual obligation upon every human being to know. And the second type uh, is titled fard kifaya, which is a communal obligation. Right? Communal obligation. So there's, there's matters in terms of uh, the sharia that if a few people in the community know it, the obligation is lifted off the rest. Not everybody needs to know it. However, there are matters that everybody needs to know. It's not enough that only the learned people know it. Because every Muslim needs to know this. And that's why Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu, he would stand at the doors of the markets of Medina. And he would give people a quick test in transactions, in trade. Right? A quick oral uh, interview. Right? And if they didn't know, he'd prevent them from coming into the market. And maybe punish them for attempting to enter the market without knowing. Because now they're putting themselves in line of doing that which could be from the most you know, serious of sins, and that would result in them going to the hellfire, like riba for example. Many people enter into riba, they don't know. Okay, so you didn't know, so you, you, uh, you're not going to be uh, taken to account for not knowing. Meaning, because you did the act out of ignorance, but you will be taken to account for not finding out. You will be taken to account for not learning, brothers and sisters. Right? So understand, this is not a life that Allah created without purpose, without a system. It's just a life in play and so on and so forth. No, Allah created you, created this life, and knows us better than we know ourselves. So we have that knowledge which is, which is, which is of an individual obligation. The nature of it is, uh, you know, is that, it, that the Sharia intends everybody by it. And we have those uh, actions that the Sharia intends the practice by it. So if the Sharia intends the practice, this is known as communal obligation. That as long as the practice is done, irrespective of who does it, the obligation is lifted. And then if the Sharia intends the individual, this is known as farad al-ayn. Right? Which means everybody has to do it. And if other people do it and you don't do it, it's still compulsory upon you, right? So uh, this is a, uh, because of this understanding, we understand why it's also again important for us to uh, learn from or learn the life of the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and not just his life, but his guidance, his guidance, right? Uh, and the reason why I say this is is that we are more proactive and more robust in our study of the life of the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and Allah subhanahu wa taala uh, knows best with regards to Muhammad. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.
Then uh, he is the final messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and he was a messenger. And we discussed in earlier episodes the difference between a messenger and uh, a prophet. And um, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam is the final messenger, and Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam is the best of all messengers. And uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam is also Khalilullah. And Alhamdulillah, we've shared this uh, in previous episodes together. Uh, as for his name, then he is Muhammad ibn Abdul. Ibn Abdul Muttalib, Ibn Hashim, Ibn Abd Manaf, Ibn Qusay, Ibn Kilab, Ibn Murra, Ibn Kaab, Ibn Luay, Ibn Ghalib, Ibn Fihir, Ibn Malik, Ibn Nadar, Ibn Kinana, Ibn Khuzayma, Ibn Mudrika, Ibn Ilyas, Ibn Mudar, Ibn Nizar, Ibn Ma'ad, Ibn Adnan. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now, inshallah, you can get this from the, the recording, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala, or inshallah, um, the students who are taking notes, you can uh, write to me and I can, I, I can send you, inshallah, um, uh, this, you know, this piece of information for, for the notes. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, reward the students involved uh, with the notes. Um, but I am going to still put a disclaimer across brothers and sisters that... Um, the, the, the actual uh, notes that you find are student notes and um, the asal or from the outset you should be uh, listening to the audio and taking your own notes, right? Because obviously um, the students that are making the class notes are same like you, they're listening and writing at the same time and there definitely will be things that are missed. Um, but in general I do browse through um, uh, the, the notes, but please note the disclaimer that there can be mistakes in it, and from the outset, um, we must stick to the audio. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Brother Hisham alhamdulillah has sourced uh, the English translation uh, of the names of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's lineage, and alhamdulillah, you can see it on whiteboard 4. Uh, on whiteboard 4. Barakallahu feekum, akhi Hisham. So, this is uh, obviously the lineage of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and obviously the lineage goes up to Adam alayhi salam. Uh, but the reason why we stop at Adnan is because the lineage up to Adnan is um, agreed upon by the scholars. The lineage up to Adnan is agreed upon by uh, the scholars and those who uh, are specialists in lineage. Right, those scholars who specialize in lineage, they all uh, agree that um, the grandfathers mentioned here uh, are definitely from the grandfathers in the lineage of Rasulullah uh, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and they don't differ as well that Adnan, Adnan uh, is from the children of uh, Ismail alaihi salam. Is from the children of Ismail alaihi salam, and I told you earlier, brothers and sisters, that all the prophets after Ibrahim alaihi salam go back to Ibrahim alayhi salam via either Ismail alayhi salam or Ishaq alayhi salam. May Allah gather us with them in Jannah alayhi salatu was salam. And all the prophets actually go back to Ibrahim alayhi salam via Ishaq alayhi salam. And um, this is the case with all the prophets besides Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. For he goes back to Ibrahim alayhi salam via uh, Ismail alayhi salam, his first son Ismail. And this is the correct opinion that his first son was Ismail. And inshallah, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss this uh, just now inshallah. So um, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam is from the children of Ismail and from the children of Ibrahim alayhi salam. Adnan is from the children of, of Ismail alayhi salam. So as you can see, uh, Adnan is, is in this portion of the lineage of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam um, that is agreed upon uh, between uh, the scholars rahmatullahi uh, alayhim. And 
with regards to um, the child of Ibrahim alayhi salam, who was placed under the knife of Ibrahim alayhi salam, then this was Ismail alayhi salam. This was uh, Ismail alayhi salam. And uh, the reason why I cite this is just a continuation from my earlier point that Ismail was the firstborn. There is a statement of some, some who uh, misunderstood this, who said that uh, Ishaq was the firstborn. Ishaq was uh, the firstborn. And what's clear is that they took this from uh, the Torah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. And, and from the Torah, and not just the Torah, but the, the changed matters of the Torah. And why we say that this is from the changed matters in the Torah is because the Quran uh, teaches us that the first uh, child of, uh, of Ibrahim alayhi salam was Ismail alayhi salam, both directly and uh, through observation both directly as well as through uh, observation. So the first child of uh, Ibrahim alayhi salam was Ismail alayhi salam, and this was uh, the child that Allah, sub- uh, uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to uh, Ibrahim alayhi salam via, um, uh, uh, via Hajar, right? Because his wife Sarah, uh, she was unable to conceive. So uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, gave him this child through Sarah. Uh, sorry, through Hajar. And uh, obviously, when Hajar uh, got this particular child, or was blessed with this child, um, you know, human nature took over Sarah, and the jealousy became heated, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then commanded Ibrahim alayhi salam to take Sarah, uh, sorry, to take Hajar with a uh, young baby, uh, Ismail uh, alayhi salam, uh, to the, 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 the valley, uh, the inhabited valley, uh, the strange valley, um, the valley that had nothing in it, uh, no water, no plantations and nothing. And that's um, a story which we touched upon earlier. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gather us with all the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Jannah. Ameen. So uh, the, the, the correct opinion and the only opinion really, the other opinion is extremely weak and should be discarded, is that the first child was Ismail. And through observation we understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tested the iman of Ibrahim alayhi salam with his son. And if Ismail was the second son, then would that be a complete test? Would that be a complete test? Um, you know, if, if Ismail was the second son and he already had Ishaq, then the test would not be entirely complete because through human nature, naturally a parent loves the first child and the love or has a love for the first child in a way that, you know, is special. Is special. This is human nature. So if Ismail was the second child, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here is commanding Ibrahim alayhi salam to put a knife to the throat of his second child. Yes, this is difficult, no doubt. But would the test be as complete as if Allah asked him to put a knife to the throat of his first child? No, it wouldn't have been complete. So this further um, uh, nullifies the view that the first child was Ishaq. No, the first child was uh, the first child was uh, Ismail alayhi salam. And that's how the test was complete. And that's how the rank of Ibrahim was raised in completeness. Because the test was complete that he passed. He asked Allah for 90 years for a child, as some of the scholars of Tafsir say. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him Ismail alayhi salam. 
And that was his first child. And Allah commanded him to take his child far away. And then Allah commanded him to place the knife on his, on his neck. So the, this, uh, uh, this is testimony uh, to the view that indeed the first child was uh, Ismail alayhi salam. So this is through observation. Also, uh, if we look in the Quran, in Surah Hud, in ayah number 17 and ayah number 71. Surah Hud, ayah number 70 and ayah number 71. Um, we, we, we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying لا تخف إنا أرسلنا إلى قوم لوط وامرأته قائمة فضحكت فبشرناها بإسحاق ومن وراء إسحاق يأقوب so for those who ponder over this ayah, uh, we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling us when uh, about the angels that visited Ibrahim alayhi salam and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that when the angels visited Ibrahim and gave him glad tidings of a child. Then the the the, the wife um, of Ibrahim alayhi salam, you know, she 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 was out of excitement and happiness. Uh, she laughed, and uh, the angels, after giving glad tidings of Ishaq, they gave glad tidings of Yaqub. So now we know that Yaqub is the son of Ishaq. Yaqub is the son of Ishaq. Right, so if the angels are telling Yaqub that, uh, sorry, telling Ibrahim alayhi salam that you are going to have a son, and that son is is going to be Ishaq, and after Ishaq he is going to have a son, and that son is going to be Yaqub, meaning, oh Ibrahim, you are going to be a grandfather, right? If um, for those who have common sense and you ponder over this ayah, you'll see that it is impossible that Allah asked Ibrahim to put a knife to the neck of Yaqub because that would, uh, uh, sorry, uh, a knife to the neck of Ishaq alayhi salam, right? Because uh, obviously Ibrahim would have known from the outset that you know uh, his son is not going to pass away. Ishaq is not going to pass away because I'm going to have a grandson through Ishaq. And how can a grandson happen if if Ishaq passes away? So it would have been a you know it would have been a fruitless exercise, right? It would have been a fruitless exercise had it been that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala asked Ibrahim alayhi salam to put a knife to the throat of Ishaq when Ibrahim knew that Ishaq was going to have a son that would be the grandson of Ibrahim known as Yaqub. So I hope you're following. This is just a bit of deduction, my dear brothers and sisters. And all this has been mentioned uh, by uh, Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullahi alayhi. Um, in the original version of the book. Another ayah proving uh, how incorrect uh, those are when they say that Ishaq was the firstborn is uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, فَلَمَّا أَسْلَمَا وَتَلَّهُ لِلْجَبِينَ وَنَادَيْنَاهُ أَيَّا إِبْرَاهِيمُ قَدْ صَدَّقْتَ الرُّؤْيَا إِنَّا كَذَلِكَ نَجْزِ الْمُحْسِنِينَ إِنَّ هَذَا لَهُوَ الْبَلَاءُ الْمُبِينَ وَفَدَيْنَاهُ بِذِبْحٍ عَظِيمٍ وَتَرَكْنَا عَلَيْهِ فِي الْآخِرِينَ سَلَامٌ عَلَى إِبْرَاهِيمُ كَذَلِكَ نَجْزِ الْمُحْسِنِينَ إِنَّهُ مِنْ عِبَادِنَا الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says this in Surah Al-Safat. Right? In ayah number 103 to 111. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says all this talking about the test of Ibrahim alayhi salam and how he passed the test and how he put a knife to the neck and Allah lifted the test of Ibrahim and Allah put a ram in place of Ibrahim and Allah says that uh, and, and, and Allah made the practice of sacrificing uh, the ram a practice till the day of Qiyamah and we all do it right during the Hajj period for those who don't go for Hajj, and even for those who go for Hajj, uh, they are able to do the Udhiyah. Uh, this practice is, is from the blessings of Ibrahim alayhi salam. 
Right? So Allah raised Ibrahim alayhi salam in rank through this test. And Allah says, كَذَلِكَ نَجْزِ الْمُحْسِنِينَ That this is how we reward the doers of good. إِنَّهُ مِنْ عِبَادِنَا الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Indeed, he was from our uh, believing um, uh, slaves. Now, if you go further in, uh, to the next ayah, which is ayah number 112 in Surah Al-Safat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, after this, after this incident, after Allah saved uh, Ibrahim from, uh, uh, you know, or, or saved the knife from cutting Ismail alayhi salam and lifted the test of, of Ibrahim, after this, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَبَشَّرْنَاهُ بِإِسْحَاقَ نَبِيًّا مِّنَ الصَّالِحِينَ Allahu Akbar. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that after all this, then we gave glad tidings to, uh, to Ibrahim about Ishaq, who we will make a prophet and he will be from the righteous as well. La ilaha illallah. Right? So, um, we see here brothers and sisters, uh, you know, evidence through deduction uh, from the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well as uh, evidence uh, through common sense um, as to why the correct opinion is that Ismail alayhi salam was uh, the child that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tested Ibrahim alayhi salam with. And also why we would say that Ismail alayhi salam was uh, the first child of Ibrahim alayhi salam. And as Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullahi alayhi says in Zad al-Ma'ad, in this particular book, he says that um, uh, Ibn Taymiyyah rahmatullahi alayhi actually said that uh, the view that the first child was Ishaq was actually taken by the Torah and that portion of of the Torah that was changed. That was changed. And it makes sense, brothers and sisters, why, uh, you know, the people of the Torah would want to change would want to change their book. And who, who can quickly tell me why? Why this particular point uh, is a point that would be changed or edited or deleted uh, from the Torah? Anyone with a quick answer off the top of their head? Because Ismail alayhi salam was... Yes... He was he, he he was the father of the Arabs, and Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam was from the Arabs, right? So uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was not from uh, Banu Israel, uh, uh, you know, uh, from Banu Israel, uh, as we then came to know it. Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was from the children of uh, uh, of Ismail alaihi salam, who is the the father of uh, the Arabs. So and and we know that the Jews wanted the final prophet to be from them. And this is manifest in, in the story of the monk when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam undertook a journey. Uh, some sources say he was 12, other sources say he was 9. When, when Abu Talib took him to, uh, to, to, uh, to the Sham region for trade, and then on the way they met the Bahira, the, the, the monk. And this monk said, don't take him further. Because uh, the Jews will harm him if they find out that you know, the signs of the Prophet to come are with an Arab and from a person who's not from them, right? So um, this is clear uh, motive. Normally we look for motive, right? Whenever a crime is done, we say, what was the motive? We need to find motive here. Uh, this is my judiciary side coming out, brothers and sisters. I mean, as you know, I've, I've, I've trained as a judge in my three years master's program. So um, forgive me if I slip off topic a little bit in this way, but I think there's a correlation, right? If, if we say, what was the motive for the Jews to actually delete uh, this part of the Torah, then the motive is clearly there. Because Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa was not a prophet uh, from 
them. So Ibn Taymiyyah rahmatullahi alayhi says this is from the edited part of the Torah. And affirmation of it being edited is from the many evidences in the Quran, which clearly give us an understanding that is as clear as the sun, and understanding beyond doubt that the first son of Ibrahim alayhi salam was Ismail uh, alayhi salam. And uh, the, the, the son that was put under the knife was... Um, was um, was Ismail alayhi salam and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, knows best. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, knows best. Moving on, uh, my dear brothers and sisters, in terms of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, then the place of his birth was none other than Mecca. The place of his birth uh, was none other than Mecca, um, you know, inside of Mecca. He was born inside uh, of Mecca, and he was born during the year of the elephants. Now, obviously, then there were no birth certificates and governments and so on and so forth, uh, as you and I know it now. Uh, but uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made a major event happen, and that's how people normally uh, told time. Um, they would normally, you know, benchmark a certain thing now against a major incident that happened in the past. And obviously they knew uh, a year and a year consisted of 12 months. So they would normally say two years after the year of the elephant, right? Uh, or, or during the year of the elephant or a year before the year of the elephant. Because the year of the elephant was a massive, massive event that, you know, was understood you know, uh, around the peninsula, uh, and perhaps even understood Allah knows best, given, uh, the, the, you know, the nature of it, by even the civilizations that were on either side of the peninsula. So it was well known. It wasn't something unknown. So whoever you met and you said, well, this happened this year, uh, or this time before this particular year, or this time after this particular year, people understood. And the year of the elephant refers to the famous uh, story of King Abraha, who decided to build uh, this amazing palace um, um, uh, around Yemen, or in that particular region, uh, so that he could shift uh, the visitors that visited the Kaaba and bring them to this mighty uh, uh, church, this mighty church. Why? Because of trade. And today, trade is a motive really as well. We're talking about motives, let's continue. Trade is a motive why countries go to war. And why, uh, you know, you hear on the TV strategic partnerships. What are these strategic partnerships that are made? These strategic partnerships uh, come about when people are looking after their own, uh, you know, looking after their own. That it's, it, it, it makes sense for us to have this strategic alignment with this country because this particular country, for example, controls this canal, for example. And this canal is very strategic to trade and movement of merchandise from one end of the world to the other. So we need people who control this canal and we need to be in a good setting with them so we have access to use it and so on and so forth. Right? So back in the day there was colonialism where um, countries would go and, and, and overtake other countries, overtake other countries and, and make them obsolete or depending on the type of colonialism, if you look at British colonialism then they would overtake a country and make their people obsolete and place their own people in the positions of power. Right, and the effects of this is manifest today. That all the countries that were were, were left by the British after independence was gained, uh, you know, those countries had people who really didn't have uh, a mighty ability to run those countries. Let's be honest. If you look at Africa and other parts of the world, or what you and I call quote unquote the developing countries or third world countries, right? Once the uh, the British left, um, they, you know, what was left behind were a people that were not trained up enough. Um, to look after 
the country. And that is why, um, you know, uh, this whole concept of succession is important. Important in your da'wah organizations. And I, and I haven't forgotten that we have a lot of, mashallah, uh, da'wah individuals here. And as I said, the course is not... Uh, uh, um, or, or it's not exclusive to you all, but mainly for you all, right? So even in your da'wah organizations, your Islamic institutions, you got to make sure that you run it in such a way, uh, whereby um, the succession and healthy succession, where a person can come in after you and, and inshallah do better uh, than you used to do. And that happens by uh, training people up well and being a person who looks after the message more than himself. You know, we must make sure that our da'wah organizations call to the message and not to the organization. We must make sure that we call to the message and not to ourselves. It shouldn't be that, you know, uh, if you're a student of knowledge and there's another student of knowledge who knows more, then, you know, you, you still refrain from uh, announcing this person, you know, uh, to the masses, to the people who don't know about him. You might be blessed with a following, right? But today, rarely do you find people say, you know what, Sheikh so-and-so, student of knowledge so-and-so, go and learn with him, go there, go and ask him, he knows more than me. Rarely do you find this. You know, it, it's, it's actually seen as uh, belittling to do that. And this is not judging people's intentions, but this is me talking to you all heart to heart. Let's not enter that game, my dear brothers and sisters. Let's not enter that game. Um, our scholars, rahmatullahi alayhim, and my teachers, hafidahumullah, uh, I fondly recall, the, call them, uh, recall them sending me to different teachers. Happily, that ask so and so, uh, he's more knowledgeable in financial matters. Wallahi, I recall this from uh, one of my fiqh teachers telling me that, you know what, uh, Sheikh Sajid, in this particular matter, so and so is more knowledgeable than me, please go check with him. Alhamdulillah. You know, so this is what, uh, how we've been trained, and it's absolutely normal. Um, but we find, you know, when the West of narrative kicks in, um, and, and then it kicks in in the da'wah scene, Right, um, then it becomes different. Whereby we, 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 you know, Shaitan spins us and makes us start calling to our way, our organization, uh, our name, um, and 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 then we forget about the message. Really, we forget about the message. Really, and and this requires thought. I know these are the early stages where we see this new age da'wah, but I'm sure very soon some of the young people in this class will probably probably be writing theses, maybe ten, fifteen years down the line. Um, you know, analytical theses pertaining to da'wah in the late 90s or uh, perhaps not the late 90s but uh, more specifically uh, at the turn of the century and how it became and, and, and the effects of it in 2030 for example. You know, I, I definitely see uh, these analytical researches happening uh, in the future. So let us not be those people, my dear brothers and sisters, right? Let us be people who call to the message. This is a footnote, yes, but nonetheless important. Let us be people who call to the message and not be people who call to ourselves, right? We are all here to serve the message of Islam. We're not here to serve ourselves. And ikhlas and all of ikhlas is in calling to the message isn't calling to the message. It's not about how many... Uh, yes, you know, we want to have ihsan and, and, and get the following and, 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 and reach out. Alhamdulillah, so the ajr is spread. And if that's your intention, that's noble. But it shouldn't be about, you know, market share. As we see in the corporate world, who can grab more of the market share? Who can grab more of the market share? Because the reality is, then you're only calling to yourself. Because this da'wah, Allah hasn't put all of its knowledge with one person. The only person who had all of its knowledge was Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa This is the reality. This is the stark reality. 
So if we are people only called to ourselves, then uh, in reality we are a people who uh, are not really calling to the message because surely we do not have all of the message and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Perhaps this is a good platform uh, to end uh, today's class on a worthy reminder. And inshallah when we come back uh, next week we will discuss um, the birth of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam briefly and then the death of his father. Uh, just uh, a quick run through and then move on to his prophethood. Uh, and move on to um, uh, the different state uh, ways that revelation came to him. Alhamdulillah, uh, this is something that we must discuss and, and, and discuss also the names of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam because he does have uh, many names. Walillahi alhamd. And also talk about his foster mothers. I promise we'll discuss that so we must shed some light on that uh, because we know Halima famously but he did have other uh, foster mothers. And also talk about you know him becoming a, a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we'll travel through in quick fashion. It's not becoming a sira sira lesson where we're going to chronologically uh, in detail go over the life of the messenger. No, we're not going to do that. But we are going to give him his haq and his right, especially since the author has opened uh, his book uh, citing these many aspects and we are in reality doing a study of the book. Inshallah we will traverse through quickly uh, important elements from the life of the messenger and uh, if Allah blesses me to pick up uh, a certain element that is prevalent now and deserves to be discussed now, I will share it with you uh, as we just discussed this last uh, and final point. And then inshallah from there we'll be going into uh, you know uh, what everybody is more excited about alhamdulillah and that is into the different guidances of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam with regards to his wudu, his prayer, his qiyamul layl, his Friday prayers, what he did on a Friday, how he uh, worshipped Allah when he travelled, what he did, what he didn't do, what he did with the Quran, how he visited the sick and so on and so forth. You know just do me a favor and read through the different uh, table of contents or the different entries into the table of contents uh, of this particular book and uh, inshallah it will keep you motivated to those who are attending may Allah bless you may Allah reward you may Allah reward you with the fullest of rewards and for those who listen to the recordings may Allah reward you also and reward you the rewards for listening because uh, it's only fair that those who attend live get the rewards for listening and attending live and brothers and sisters please the forums are there uh, for you all, uh, participation is happening, but at a very slow pace, slow rate. I don't know what to make of it. Does that mean you are reading or does that mean you put uh, the, the book away uh, after the session until the next week? I hope not. I hope you do go through the notes that are sent out. You do go through the audio that is sent out. Alhamdulillah, the team is working hard. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward them. They're trying to keep it real um, and keep it educa- uh, educational uh, by sending to you all the resources that you would need to uh, further study and revise. Knowledge happens in stages, brothers and sisters. You hear it once, you still got to read it again. A book is not a good book is never read once, right? You got the first reading is just an introduction, really. Then you read it again now to 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 pick up. Um, uh, the, the secrets of the book, the, in, the, you know, the insights of the book, and you jot them down and you, you study them and ponder over them. And, and when you do that, then questions will arise. And then when those questions arise, now you further read other books. It takes you to reading other books or takes you to asking different questions. right? And, and this is you becoming intimate uh, with the book, if I can, can call it that. So let it not be that we finish today and that's it. Alhamdulillah, the audio gets sent to you, download it, put it in your mobile phones or your smartphones rather, or your, 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 your audio devices or your vehicles and listen to it. 
ponder over it, listen to it time and time again, indeed in reminding one another, is benefit for the believers. I love you all for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah bless us all, protect us all. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us a people that hear a good word and follows it. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us a people forgiven upon our departure. And may Allah preserve us in His obedience and good health and uh, inspire us to attend the session live uh, week after week. Uh, As you can see, the weeks are traversing by. We already one month, alhamdulillah, uh, into this particular uh, book really right we are one month into the study uh, of this particular book and inshallah we're entering April and then we only have three weeks of May before the summer break kicks in so really it's 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 not much my dear brothers and sisters talk Allah put your trust in Allah uh, and, and 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 work hard and don't become uh, unable indeed you are able ask Allah for guidance and, and, and ability and uh, try your best هذا والله أعلم وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين سبحان الله وبحمده سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك